0: That was where it all starts to go wrong, I think. And then that mind-body dualism, that that dichotomy causes a whole lot of problems for people because, yeah, it's it's caused this disconnect in, in how we look after ourselves, how we think about our physical health and our mental health, which are exactly the same thing. So there's a nice quote from the Royal College of Psychiatrists, which is, there is no health without mental health.
1: Why does movement make us feel better mentally? And if so, Why can we be so resistant to moving more? Welcome to Make Movement Matter, the podcast that zooms in to both learn more about specific areas of movement with specialists, as well as zooming out on bigger picture life stories, where movement has been a catalyst for change. This week, my guest, Dr. Charlotte Marriott, who calls herself the lifestyle psychiatrist on Instagram, is a consultant NHS psychiatrist specializing in neuroscience, a certified lifestyle medicine physician, and a nature-based coach. Her unique approach to helping people is inspirational and goes far beyond the regular practice of psychiatry. Charlotte is incredibly well-informed, so I greatly enjoyed this discussion where I learned a lot about why movement really is so key to both treat and more importantly, prevent so many issues, both mentally and physically. I started off by asking how movement affects mental health physiologically.
0: Oh, this is a really interesting question, Wendy, and I think it's in lots and lots of different ways. So maybe we can think about some of the ways. Um, I suppose if you think about taking a brisk walk or running or whatever form of exercise that it is that you're doing, what's the first thing that's happening is you're moving your muscles and you're also moving your blood around your body. So that's the first physiological thing that's going to have an impact on your mental health and your brain health because you'll be oxygenating your blood better. You'll be moving that oxygenated blood to your brain and that will be improving, you know, all of it, the the health of the the brain. That's the first thing to think about, I suppose. And then also when you're moving, you're you're priming your muscles for accepting glucose, you're improving your glucose regulation. um, And that's also going to be beneficial for your mental health as well. And when we're moving, what are we doing in our hormones? We're releasing feel-good hormones like endorphins and oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine, noradrenaline. And they make you feel good. They give you that kind of runner's high um, where you feel energized and yet relaxed. But you also feel a sense of positivity and rejuvenation. So that's really important. And things like endorphins are a natural painkiller as well. So they can help you manage any pain that you might get in your muscles from exercising. Um, But I think the really key thing that happens when we move is we produce a lot of something called BDNF, which is brain derived neurotrophic factor. And what that is, is it's, (laughs) uh, it's like a growth hormone. For the brain like a fertilizer for the brain um, and it stimulates angiogenesis which is making new blood vessels in the brain it stimulates synaptogenesis which is making new connections between our brain cells and also remarkably neurogenesis as well so um, it used to be like when i was at medical school 20 odd years ago we were told that the brain fully develops by 25 and there's no new brain cells that occur after the age of 25 and in fact your brain cells start dying.
1: I've heard that about um your prefrontal cortex is that correct because in relation to (laughs) my children and they're all being male and they're being more likely to risk take up to the age of 25 right and then less likely to afterwards I don't know if that's correct but I also know that that's part of the reason that they are much higher to insure on cars yeah up to the age of 25 than afterwards so my assumption was yeah that grew and kind of stopped everything would just then stop it it got to its you know yeah adult stage exactly
0: exactly and that that's that's partly correct. It's true because your prefrontal cortex, that's the part of your brain that does planning and executive function, risk assessment, right. modulates your behavior, modulates your emotional responses to things. Um, and so, yeah, the prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until 25 um, and it is therefore after 25 fully developed. Um, ideally. Um, but, yeah, we know from sort of originally from mouse studies and now also from human studies that when we exercise, we can grow new neurons predominantly or specifically in the hippocampus, which are two two parts of the brain, one in the left and one in the right hemispheres. And the hippocampus is absolutely key for learning, memory, focus, also emotion as well. Um, and so through exercise, we can actually change the structure of our brain to improve our cognition to improve our memory our ability to learn and take in new information and also to improve our mood as well so
1: yes it's amazing
0: hugely important and exciting
1: yeah yeah and you know we are the bodies the beings we are um and we move through space because we've got a brain that is driving us to do that um and even though if we had a much smaller brain we would still be doing that and procreating and so on but Supposedly, what separates us or doesn't separate us, but makes us uh, more complex beings is is um, that ability to think um, and and perhaps that's a downside as well in in many ways, because that's what can go wrong for humans, yes. perhaps in a different way. So you um, are a consultant NHS psychiatrist but you're also a certified lifestyle medicine physician. Did I get that right? Yes, that's yeah, yeah. (laughs) And a nature-based coach. And the reason that I find that really fascinating is because you have mixed two worlds in a sense. We're very used to um, medicine and psychiatry, particularly in the UK, I can only really speak to the UK, Mm -hmm. being more about treatment. So when problems present themselves, Um, you go for treatment to the right places which is really important and aren't we lucky that we have that thank goodness yeah um but you've also um chosen to also specialize in something called lifestyle medicine so can you tell us a bit more what lifestyle means because it could be taken in many ways I'd imagine a bit like me being a natural movement coach what's that
0: (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, you know, that's true, and I think the word lifestyle and lifestyle medicine can be interpreted in different ways, and it's not always favourably interpreted, right? Because it can sound pejorative in some ways, judgmental in others, and it can sound like we're telling people how they should be living their lives, and that some ways of living are good and some ways of living are bad, and and that's not what it means at all. No, what it means really is the small things that we all do every day that can impact our health and our well-being, um, and we call those lifestyle factors. And broadly, um, the lifestyle pillars, we call them the six pillars of lifestyle medicine, are broken down into nutrition, physical activity, sleep, harmful substance, risky substance reduction, stress management, and positive psychology and connectedness. And they're all evidence-based. So lifestyle medicine is evidence-based medicine. There's a wealth of research going back decades about the things that we, we all do that impact our health and well-being. And yeah, sorry, I was just gonna say no, go they, show, they, they show that we can prevent many, many, many different chronic diseases. Also we can reverse, so we can use lifestyle medicine to treat and reverse chronic disease as well, including type two diabetes, cardiovascular disease, depression, the cancers, the list goes on. Um, yeah, which
1: makes sense because um to many there is this sort of separation between the way we live our lives yeah and then what happens to us and I think um a lot of people um think that certain things that happen to them in their lives it's part of their stack of cards they're born with their genetic mm-hmm. makeup or it's more likely because people in previous generations have had XYZ and so on, and yeah. that perhaps they therefore feel powerless to for that to not happen to them, yeah, and scared clearly as well that that is something that is more likely to happen to them. But what you're saying is that to a large extent, they have got power in their own hands, which is an empowering thing, that's amazing for someone to feel that way. But I notice um, in quite a lot of your stuff, you do talk about this evidence basis. And I I really understand why that's important to to say, because I'm sure sometimes when people see um, lifestyle medicine or talk about lifestyle medicine, they maybe go to thinking that it's more, I don't know how to say it nicely. Um, um airy woo woo. Yeah, 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 Side of things and yet everything you've just said had no woo woo to me. Exactly. It yeah. was all literally just the things we all do in our lives. Yeah. That pretty much all of um I would say maybe four or five out of six um we've got control over. We're Absolutely. making a choice about. And obviously from my world movement You know, I don't speak about nutrition. I don't speak about other things because they're not my field, uh, my specialist field. And they're not, uh, I'm not as passionate. I am in my own life, but not for others. Whereas movement, obviously, is something I'm really passionate about because of my own journey. And so from your perspective, why did you then get into lifestyle? Because I presume lifestyle medicine wasn't there at the start when you were... Uh, well it was around but you you didn't specialize in that for a while so why did you sort of lean in that direction? Yeah interesting well I, I guess it's a long story but just coming back to to one thing mm. you said
0: before I get into that it was about um the sort of genetic risk or the familial yeah. risk yeah. that that exists so we know that there are genetic illnesses for example Huntington's career if you have a, a parent with Huntington's you've got a 55 a 50% chance of also Right. getting Huntington's career. So there are things that are genetic that we can't use lifestyle medicine to reduce the risk of. Um, then there are things that you may have a genetic propensity towards right. that you can use lifestyle medicine to modulate your risk. So for example, if you've got a strong family history of depression, it's not associated with particular genes that we know of, but it might okay. increase your risk of developing depression yourself. But we know that if you do a lot of these lifestyle interventions, like regular physical activity and, and looking after nutrition and and all these other things that it you can modulate your own risk and improve your prospective risk of developing depression. So there are genetic factors, epigenetic factors, which is how we can use things that, that change our expression of our genes. And also, yeah, just things that can reduce our risk. So that was just one thing I wanted no, to No, that's to bring very up.
1: fair. Thank you for sharing that because yeah, it clarifies it for me as well. Oh um, good. because and these things are always nuanced, aren't they? There's yeah, always yeah. layers and it's important to to say that. So yeah
0: yeah thank you so what about um, you <laughs> what about me <laughs> so my own journey um I think probably for me it goes all the way back to my own childhood and my own personal experiences so I was lucky enough to grow up in a house with a garden so I had outdoor space um we were very very active as kids constantly doing things like skipping cycling climbing trees um or do gymnastics in the garden with my sister all that kind of stuff just constantly always outside and moving we had a vegetable vegetable patch and so that kind of was, was my upbringing we were not wealthy by any means but we were lucky in in that respect um and so I I at that stage I didn't I wasn't really aware of of it being part of health or improving my own health or anything like that it was just what we did it was natural normal for us and then when I was 18 I went to university in London so I moved from a kind of semi-rural environment to big city bright lights the big smoke yeah Yeah. the big smoke literally
1: especially at that point (laughs) exactly (laughs) I remember leaving the tube when I lived there and blowing my nose and thinking what's all this black on my hands absolutely black stuff came out your nose yeah yeah, yeah. I love London by (laughs) the way just to say I do love London but
0: I don't love that yeah don't love that in lots of ways it's not a it's not a healthy city to live in everything about you know how busy it is constantly rushing the traffic the pollution the number of people and and the stress that that caused me so I found out living in the big city that I'm a country bumpkin I need quiet I need solitude. I need green space. And so living in London, I'd often get back from um, a day of studying at uni and I'd go into my flat and I'd be kind of frustrated and and irritable. And what I would do is I'd like throw my bag down and I'd leave the flat and I'd go for a walk or run around the local park because in London, there are parks everywhere. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you find your green space and I'd go for a walk or run for half an hour and then I'd be okay again. You know, I'd feel I could relax. I could enjoy myself again. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be able to get rid of that sort of pent up frustration feeling um so that was when I started to think about the power of things like exercise nature mindful time on your own for your for your mental health and well-being um and also you know I carried on my healthy eating habits from childhood because you know there's a load of evidence that shows if you're introduced to these healthy habits in early life you take them with you throughout your life so I was lucky I really hope that's the case
1: because I've worked so hard (laughs) It's definitely the case there's there are
0: lots of it papers doesn't always about that. feel
1: like it but let's hope it comes out <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i'm sure it will and then studying medicine and then working as a doctor you see a lot of different people from all sorts of different works of walks of life all sorts of different backgrounds all sorts of different lifestyle habits, all sorts of you know different socio demographic economic situations and so on, and you can see a clear correlation between Things like smoking, alcohol substances, and and physical health problems going forward, you can see a correlation between, um, you know, people's recovery from things like operations. If they're if they're fit and active beforehand, they recovered so much more quickly afterwards. So I was just becoming aware of all of these different things, and then started my training in psychiatry in two thousand and six, and was noticing the same things were relevant to mental health as they were to physical health, and I just felt that in general in 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 conventional med- medical treatment we often weren't addressing those things that could really make a difference for people's lives so for example when I was doing general medical jobs people would come in with with a heart attack or a stroke or pneumonia or, or whatever it would be and we would treat that one thing that they came in with and then we'd send them home again but I could see that there was there
1: was there'd be so much potential if we could only just help them in all the different ways. And did um, you sometimes forecast forward for that person sometimes and think they may be back rather than if I know I could just get a little bit more of their time and convince them they may not be back
0: yeah definitely definitely um and and they're just yeah I guess the whole thing in the NHS is it's very 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 overstretched so you do what you do and you move on to the next thing and it's very fast and um although it's person-centered it's not always Holistically, person-centered. You know, we're not always looking at the whole person, but in psychiatry, we do have that opportunity to look at the whole person. So I find that much more rewarding, right. and we have more time in psychiatry with our patients too. So we mm-hmm. can start to bring in these different things that can really make a difference more holistically in their lives. Um, and then, so lifestyle medicine really wasn't a thing in the UK at all. It didn't have a name until about mm, 2017, 18, something like that. I think. Oh, that's
1: relatively recent. Really recent.
0: Yeah. Um, And, you know, the movement started in America um, and and then the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine was founded and it's just grown exponentially ever since. Because there are many, 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 many thousands of doctors like me who have this viewpoint, you know, of of how we can improve healthcare, how we can improve the health of the population, how we can improve the health of the nation. Um, And we are very, very passionate about that. So, yeah, it's a big movement now.
1: No, it's fascinating. I didn't realize it was quite so recent. Um, And often these things do start off earlier in America and then come across. Um, But as you say, we are really stretched in this country, in the NHS. And um, if we think about um, the physical health side, which there really shouldn't be a separation, the way you treat it is separate. But if someone if someone is presenting to a GP with something that's um, seemingly very physical and yet obviously there could be other things going on I don't necessarily mean mental illness but um, things that are affecting their psyche um, they've got 10 minutes and so for the doctor to get past the what's happening physically to try and find out perhaps why that has happened is now, impossible. Now, I'm not here to um, do the NHS down because they're doing <laughs> working very hard with little means. So um, yeah. it's certainly not 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 a thing. And there's lots of great people out there who uh, we talked about Dr. Chatterjee before yeah. who are trying to very publicly say um, that there is power in your hands um, for those that, it, that that can respond to it. And um, you talked a little bit there about um, physical and mental health and I'm always very fascinated by this um yeah sort of being seen as separate and I think yeah. still is and it's yeah. p- probably partially because doctors go into psychiatry or um general medicine uh you know yeah uh, traditional other whatever you call it physical medicine exactly. um and therefore we then as the general public seem to have separated it out and And I don't know why that that exists, because for me, they are in in half the clients I see the part of the reason that they have got into um, dysfunction is because something's happened in their lives or they have lacked confidence. And therefore, I actually find that I end up treating um, I don't treat people, sorry, but but looking at um both sides of the coin, how they feel and see movement yeah. in their lives, and um, what they believe they're capable of, um, and helping to build their confidence, which in turn means they're more likely to take on more, try more, the confidence builds and it becomes a lovely upward cycle when you get it right. And they believe in their bodies again. Yeah. But that's believing with the mind yeah. Yeah. in the body. Absolutely. I couldn't and agree I, I, more. Um, and I was just going to throw in one little story before I asked the, yeah. the question about it. But um, so my story is is very relevant here in that when I uh, so I got into injury, I have my air quotes up because I nothing happened to me. I didn't fall over. I didn't have a crash. Um, I was out running one day and came home. And during the night I woke up and I couldn't walk. and. It was a lovely run i remember it vividly it was gorgeous run um and my body had effectively just said no more enough is enough i found out through many years that um, i had a very twisted pelvis the other muscles were desperately trying to hold on uh, because i then also found out um, i have hypermobility Certain points in the month, everything gets a bit more lax, mm. um, and I was running on an unstable foundation. That then, having a very sensitive constitution—very unmedical terminology there—but <laughs> I really believe in it. Um, yeah. I really felt my pain, and therefore I got into a chronic pain cycle for four years, which oh. I couldn't separate out whether I was feeling the pain, which I, to me, it was incredibly real, and. A, a, I still believe it was real.
0: Yeah.
1: But for me, what was interesting was that halfway through that process, I sort of stopped my treatment. I stopped when I was doing my rehab because I was so frustrated that nothing was moving the dial forward. I had lost all hope that I would ever move the way I did would had before again. And I came to a kind of a moment where I realized I had to give up running in my head, which is weird because it's just one little thing. But giving up running in my head and therefore the expectation of who I was going to be in the future versus who I was in the past was the thing that relieved me of all the pressure I was effectively putting on myself to to have a body that I didn't actually have. And looking back on that, that was the point that I started to move forward. And I truly believe that that was a mental shift that then started to help my body heal. And some people might see that as woo-woo. But for me, it absolutely, utterly proved to me that they, the body and the mind are more linked than we could even understand, particularly <laughs> yes. in pain and trauma. Um, and I read an amazing book, which I'm sure you know off by heart, um, The Body Keeps the Score, by, um, I've got his name down, because I don't want to get it wrong. Bessel, Bessel van der Kolk. Kolk. Yeah. And it, it was a, a door opening in my mind that said, you're right and this is okay and keep going and believe in your body uh, it's an amazing vehicle and you just need to work through this so as a lot but is this something you see a lot and and so do you see it as a two-way because obviously i'm coming at it from the movement and physical side do you see it very much as a two-way street between mind and body
0: Yeah. And first of all, thank you so much for sharing your personal story, Wendy's. I think our stories are really powerful, aren't they, for for communicating things. It's why I do what I do. (laughs) 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 Exactly. Um, Do I see it as a two-way street? No, because like you, there is no distinction in my mind between the mind and the body. It's a false dichotomy. Yes. yes good yes. good
1: yes <laughs> so, there is no yes. disconnect there is no, no separation disconnect. there's exactly. no arm co in the middle
0: <laughs> no because where is your brain it is in your body it's part of your body it's an organ of the body just like your heart is we don't talk about the heart body connection no or the lung body connection
1: although interestingly we talk about the gut
0: yes with but, the
1: connection with the brain and that yes that's yeah a, that's yeah, a whole other it's, it's a whole other
0: story <laughs> absolutely fascinating the connection with the gut and the brain, yes, but that just goes to show how interconnected everything is so yeah. thinking about the gut and the brain going off on a bit of a tangent, the brain and the gut are physically connected by your vagus nerve, the tenth cranial nerve, longest cranial nerve of the body goes all the way from your brain stem down through your pharynx into your into your thorax and to the heart the lungs the liver the the gut the the stomach,
1: the colon, all of it. So direct connection. Is there anything the the else that does that in the body? Well, has between that, that in the brain... brain? Yes, has such a long connection, if you see what I mean, almost geographically through the body. Is there anything apart from your vessels, your blood vessels and so on? Um well everything is
0: connected, isn't it? Well, I got... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's sorry. all connected. And then you've got hormones as well, which are chemical messengers. So everything True. in the body True. is connected. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's like a what do you call like when you plug in your Wi-Fi not the Wi-Fi is it called like a LAN cable oh I don't know I don't understand I know what you mean landline (laughs) yes yeah so it's like it's it's not if you imagine hormones being like a Wi-Fi connection and then the vagus nerve to from your gut to your brain being like a plug-in
1: oh I know Ethernet
0: I don't F. understand these terms. Right. I don't know I, what we're I think we, I
1: think we don't know about our technological
0: <laughs> style. Okay. It's like a wire <laughs> yes, instead of. It's a physical instead of yes, exactly. Yes, yes. So they're physically connected, but they're also connected through hormones and chemical messengers and, and neurotransmitters and all sorts of things. But yeah, so the brain is an organ in the body. It's to me the most fascinating brain, uh, organ of the body and the most fundamental. I've always thought, actually, uh, as the body being the thing that carries your brain around because you need you can't do anything else without your brain it's so the true. single most important organ and it controls all of the other organs and they feed messages backwards and forwards so there is no separation in my mind although there's this false dichotomy that's existed for 100 years or more in in medicine so until i think the 1920s around then neurology and psychiatry were one discipline and nowadays we think of neurologists looking after the nervous system as it pertains to the body and a psychiatrist looking after the mind but it, until the 1920s it was the same medical discipline so right. that was that was where it all starts to go wrong i think and <laughs> then that mind body dualism that that dichotomy causes a whole lot of problems for people because yeah yeah it's it's caused this disconnect in in how we look after ourselves how we think about our physical health and our mental health which are exactly the same thing so there's a nice quote yeah. from the Royal College of Psychiatrists which is there is no health without mental health yeah. you know like you can have a body in tip top shape but if if you you know if your mental health is not good there's well, you know you're not really
1: healthy and 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 that kind of presents itself in in when you are in pain or you've had trauma of any kind we very physically show that by the positions we hold, um, and I see that a lot. Where, and I and I certainly have seen it in myself, where we go into that sort of protective, um, yeah, you know, in in uter kind of yeah curved shape because Literally. we are. It's like a fearful thing, and it's lovely to then see the sort of open confident unraveled person who's feeling in my case great about the fact that they can do this and that again and they move freely um yeah yeah, it is it's yeah so we're almost being given a signal by the body
0: oh constantly absolutely and that's a really nice way for everybody to understand it because you know how you feel if you get some bad news you're crestfallen and Mm. you do you your shoulders drop and you you look down and you look inwards and you do curl in that C shape, like oh no, and then imagine you're feeling really proud of yourself. You might you might feel a bit puffed up. We talk about arms up. up and yeah, yeah like we, a power we, pose. We, yes, exactly, yeah <laughs> exactly. So um, our our emotions absolutely correlate with our physiology. And with our physicality, hundred percent, and it works both ways too. Like you hear about people people who do a lot of public speaking before they go on stage, they're doing power poses to make themselves feel strong and confident.
1: And it does; it helps if you if you lift your chest and you take a deep breath. And, and- yet, that's the other way around, isn't it? So yeah, if we, you know, I don't want to say the two way street, but in us, it's where one is driving the other in a different way. So so, um, it's not the emotions; they're creating that confidence and, and that positive feeling by using their body in a certain pattern that makes them feel expansive and open and, and yeah and it's sort of this sort of excited feel to harness that to then go and do something so yeah that's a really good way of thinking about it the other way around yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah.
0: so yeah
1: it's super
0: interesting how it all works um yeah, um, and then we can think about how how our emotions can dictate our physical health as well. So, for example, if you have a lot of stress, you might develop a migraine. Yeah, you know, or you might you might get an upset tummy, or there, there are so many different ways that how we feel emotionally impacts our physical well being, and vice versa.
1: Yeah. So, um, in terms of um how you go about treatment, um and We're talking. I'm talking more about people who don't have, um, you know, serious mental illness. Um, So the person on the street who is perhaps um, struggling a bit, um, and so on. Would you always then go to lifestyle tools first to look at the way that they live their lives, or would you say this has got to be an integrated approach? How would how would you normally? come at things because you've got your two hats in a sense yes even though they're the one hat well yeah that's
0: the trouble that's what I was going to say I I, I don't actually work with people who don't have serious mental illness so all all of the patients I look look after have have well they're in my NHS role so I don't do any private practice so they all do have serious mental illness but I guess it's the same same thing that um the same principles apply that we would be looking at what are the current issues for that person right now and what's going to help them the most and for some people it can be medication for some people it can be talking therapies for some people they are ready and willing and wanting to make changes in their lives and in their habits and it's about what's the right thing for that person right now and sort of assessing people's readiness to change their confidence to make a change how important it is to them that's really key to to knowing what to focus on and when
1: and and how often do you find that you discuss movement as part of that strategy? All the time, all the time,
0: yeah. So I try and have these conversations with my patients all the time about, you know, what what, what, do you eat, what are your eating habits like? Do you drink plenty of water? Um, and, you know, doctors are always asking about smoking and alcohol and drugs and things like that, but also asking about what physical activity do you enjoy? Do you go to the, for walks? Do you spend time outdoors? What's your sleep like? And just trying to incorporate it and make it part of part of what I do every day um and with varying degrees of success because people are either interested and ready
1: or they're not you know and and so for someone who is more ready let's mm-hmm. say who wants to make a change and perhaps um is wanting to have medication as as the the last thing that they decide to do wanting to bring in um other tools in the meantime there's the, the the guidelines. There's obviously there's the 150 minutes moderate or 75 vigorous a week and so on, which I find um, I know there has to be a guideline. I understand yeah. that. But I find it very restrictive because particularly in my world, that's about exercise in inverted commas rather than movement. And one of the things that I uh, feel was an issue in my life and I see in other people is that the level of sedentarism yeah. is significant. And I believe there are studies that you you may be able to quote or not about the sort of equal um, difficulty it brings you being sedentary um, as much as smoking in some instances, which for, for me is uh, extraordinary that then we can manage to Um, get this brilliant message across about smoking that has really changed um, hugely in the last decades yeah and yet we can't so much about sedentarism and my belief and I am not (laughs) (laughs) science-based my belief my pure personal belief is that regularity and movement throughout the day in whatever form is really important and that's coming literally from my sample of one me that and people who agree with me (laughs) that when i um when my brain slows down when my energy lowers when i haven't been outside enough but like your london experience i feel kind of caged i feel frustrated emotionally but also physically i get itchy and i i really i've almost trained myself out of being able to sit for too long now Same, same and i feel Uncomfortable in my body. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And so I therefore know it's almost like a learned thing that if you're consistent with your little movement breaks, not only do you feel like you sort of um just moved the things that want to be moving, but also mentally, you just feel a little bit sharper, definitely happier by the end yeah. of the day, um and so on. And yet, sort of conveying that through messaging and encouraging. Um, is interesting because obviously people will see the um, the fact that, well, I sit at a, job, a desk to do my job for eight hours a day. How can I? Um, yeah. And obviously I come up with little solutions um, and many people have, a, you know, the kind of take the stairs versus the lift type yeah. of thing or balancing on one leg when you're, because you, you're going to go and make a coffee at some point or you're going to go to the loo. So walk backwards together. <laughs> <laughs> Look like the, the, the odd one out. Why not? But and um, I find that is quite a, uh, it, it's not seen as beneficial in the way ah, that yeah. exercise in inverted commas is. And yet I believe it's really powerful. So tell me yeah. if I'm right or wrong. No, no,
0: I absolutely agree with you, Wendy. And I think the word exercise has so many bad connotations, doesn't it, as well? People think about exercise as being like no fun, no pain, no gain. Um, <laughs> we move, we exercise to lose weight. We exercise to get fitter. But there's so little thinking around exercise as being something for joy, for happiness, for freedom in your body, for just enjoying moving. And I think those are some of the messages we need to get across. And then you mentioned the government guidelines, 150 minutes a week. Absolutely. But if you look at the poster in the bottom left corner, it does say reduce sedentary time. And that's a really good place to start i completely agree because so many of us are sitting for long periods in the day and when you're sitting what's happening your your body's stagnating your your spine is suffering um in terms of its morphology and also your your, your blood is stagnating you're pooling blood that's not moving there's not much oxygen getting around to your organs and your brain and it's just you end up really sort of feeling sludgy and just you know lethargic yeah and, yeah and you can't and straight. yet
1: most of the world is set up to get people the modern world yes for definitely. those who are um yeah desk workers and yet expecting productivity
0: yeah yeah, yeah. That.
1: expecting people not to then have mental health and physical health issues because obviously really also true, from yeah. my perspective it's also you're sat in one position so you're tightening. Yeah. Well, you're basically becoming a really good chair shape in your body. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And therefore, your when you tricks. try to then open out that shape, yeah, you struggle. And yeah. yet, then and you, you get, also go yeah. to the gym, potentially. So if you see yourself as a mover and you go to the gym and you expect your, yourself to be nice and mobile and very few people, they may start with a warm up of a couple of stretches, but they certainly don't usually do a full joint mobility routine beforehand that would help to get them ready. For exercise, and then often are doing quite high impact yeah. work that yeah, so it's it's which was me, which is why I say that that was uh. very much me, um particularly through my twenties um and I think that was all worked up to what became a problem, I think mm. because we're all like onions aren't we, we've got these layers that we build up of yeah. function, dysfunction, trauma, and so on. And um, so we become a thing and sometimes that thing falls apart a little bit. Yeah,
0: exactly. And you're more likely to get injured if you're not moving regularly, you know, and then you hit the gym, you're much more likely to get injured than if you're just moving a little bit regularly throughout the day. Um, and there's a really, really nice poster from the World Health Organization, which I could show it to you right now. But what it has, it's a kind of graph and it's, a, you know, like a hyperbolic shape where it goes up quite steeply and then plateaus off. And along the bottom axis, it says zero exercise right at the bottom. And then you get no benefits. And then a little bit of exercise is where you hit that real upswing. Steep curve. Steep curve. Exactly. Yeah. So moving from nothing to something gives you the greatest benefit in your your health. And then if you add on a bit more, you get a little bit more benefit. You run a marathon, a little bit more benefit. But really, the biggest impact on your health and well-being comes from when you go from doing nothing to just something and something can be so small it can be just reducing your sedentary time it can be just dancing to a song it can be taking the stairs instead of a lift so that's the real key thing is to make it so small and easy that it's the benefits are huge and it's not a hard task it's not running 5k it's not hitting the gym it's just doing something just one small thing
1: and and I think also um the thing that is harder for people to then do those things consistently is that connection because it's almost like okay I believe you but I don't necessarily feel it um and I said before I'm kind of what I would see as a, a sensitive constitution whereby I really feel I feel emotionally, I feel my body very physically very easily, where it is, um what's going wrong, I feel pain more, and so on um whereas a lot of people don't feel in the same way because they're perhaps they've never had that sort of connection. I don't yeah. know whether there is a real physical thing um but um how does how do we convince those people that just moving the dial that tiny little bit is is worth doing consistently and making a habit? I
0: think it's it's got to be experiential you know you can tell people things till till you're blue in the face but until somebody experiences it for themselves they're not really going to understand it um, and I'll tell you what I'll tell you a small anecdote that's a little bit separate but it, it it illustrates the point perhaps so I was um, doing this outdoor coaching day for a charity um, and we had a, a whole load of police Police staff come to spend the day, and we did coaching activities. And this one lady arrived, and she was just like, "I'm only here so I can get out of the office. I hate being outdoors. I want to be at home on my sofa watching Netflix. That's what I want to be doing. So let's let's just get on with this." And then I was talking to her about about being outside and why she didn't like it, and and all of this. And she was like, "It's fine, it's fine." And she sat down in this armchair—not an armchair, a uh, deck chair. She sat in this deck chair. <laughs> And she just progressively, you could see her body just relaxing more and more and more. And within half an hour of sitting in this field, she went, oh, I feel amazing. I feel so relaxed. This is incredible. Maybe, maybe I do like being outdoors. (laughs) And it was just that experience that she'd never had. She'd always said, I'm not an outdoors person. I don't like being outdoors. And just half an hour of spending time in nature, her whole idea about it changed. And
1: you and also you asking her to self-reflect. So mm. you asking her to slightly question the barriers that she was putting up by saying, No, I prefer this, or or no, I'm not that type of a person. Now mm. we're all outside people because it yes, came outside. people. Yeah. Exactly. We didn't have these cement boxes. Um, so it it's interesting how we have modernized ourselves in that respect and therefore restricted ourselves yeah Um, that's a really great story because the fact that she could see that shift so quickly and it would be lovely to know now did she then go on to maybe start walking or I really hope so yeah she
0: said she was going to spend more time doing outdoors things after that day so I really hope she did take that forward um I bet she
1: did, and and that's that beautiful ripple effect that we talk about, where you've sown a seed, um, and maybe someone just tries something small. Yes. And although we talk about exercise, if we start by talking about movement and outdoors and so on, we hope that the ripple means that either them or someone near to them is affected by that positively and takes it that bit further and so on, because they almost get so into it that it becomes that thing so tell me a bit more about your nature-based coaching because that sounds fascinating
0: oh uh, yes unfortunately I'm not doing it at the moment okay. I just don't have the time or, oh. or the resources yeah <laughs> I just don't have the time um but yeah it's something I'd definitely like to do more of in the future I really found during the pandemic this was when I found that the the kind of benefits of it um was that you know we couldn't be getting people our patients into clinic to see us we couldn't go into their homes because we were social distancing and all of that so when I needed to see people face to face we'd often go for a walk in nature and I, I noticed like it was just extraordinary walking side by side with someone we had a totally different conversation they opened up in a totally new way and told me things they'd never talked about before and it just I was wow this is super interesting the power it has to connect in a in a new way and i just thought it was a very profound experience so it's something i would like to do much much more of in the future but um yeah at the moment i'm not currently
1: doing that oh and and um it's it's well reported that that sort of effects of being in nature also are incredibly beneficial for your for your mental health which is obviously something that you felt in yourself from your childhood when you didn't get it um and and is that something that you will also say to patients and to people about how, the importance of getting out?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All the time. And luckily, I I work in a really well-resourced team and we run two walking groups a week. So one of them is a city-based walk. But, you know, we live in a small city. We work in a small city where um, we have a canal and a river and parks. And so there's a lot of green space involved in that. But also one one walk a week is in the nearby hills so um, oh. the the staff take patients up the hill for a walk and Amazing. yeah it's really great and
1: great for you as much as for them
0: yeah absolutely. so you, you
1: get the best out of them but also you're you working in in the most because often hospitals or those types of environments can be the exact opposite
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah the yeah.
1: fake lighting and the feeling like stagnant air and and so on which is is less conducive to to health. yeah
0: absolutely and overheating as well oh my gosh yes
1: (laughs) yes oh it's been really really interesting talking to you um so obviously this podcast is called make movement matter because i and clearly you believe that it's something really really powerful um so do you have any little um Well, any cautions, first of all, um, about um, the connection between movement and mental health and any any thing that we should be when we think about loved ones and advising them and so on. Anything we should be cautious Mm. about. Um, But then also, what would you say in in the movement sphere, if you can think of it, is is sort of your most effective thing that you get people to do physically that then helps um, with their mental health?
0: Yeah, well, sure. Thank you. Okay, so cautions. I guess the main cautions are that not to do too much too soon, you know, to build up slowly so that you can get used to whatever the new activity is that you're you're taking on. Um, and also to be aware of any, any, you know, not to do things that you're not physically capable of. Um, that's the key thing. And if you have any underlying cardiovascular problems, it's always a good idea just right. to get that checked out. You know, we don't want to cause any people any problems. But the other risk, I suppose, is that people can become obsessed and get obsessional about absolutely you know, right. Yeah. And I think that can be really unhelpful. So even just things like people can get totally obsessed with watching their heart rate going up when they're exercising on their on their smartwatches or yes. Fitbits or whatever. Or um, whether they've done their X steps, etc. Exactly, et <laughs> exactly. So I think taking away monitoring is a is a good thing and i think if you are monitoring stuff don't don't pay too much attention to it yeah um listen to your body instead rather than looking at numbers that's um, great
1: advice
0: yeah and actually just on that point there's this advert for this this smartwatch i don't know which brand it is so not that i'm avoiding mentioning it, i just don't know <laughs> but there's this advert where the, the smartwatch tells you When is the optimal time to exercise? When is the optimal time to rest? When how much sleep you've been getting and what that means? I was like, whoa, this is really bad if we're starting to rely on digital devices telling us when we need to rest. Yes, it
1: stops you, as you say, connecting to how you feel. Yeah, absolutely. And
0: and what you were mentioning before about being um, sensitive, having a sensitive constitution, I think what you're describing is you've got good interoception you're able to look inwards and see what's happening in your body and your mind and the more we're relying on external devices to tell us we're in big trouble if we're yeah. doing that yeah I think my personal view so no,
1: I would completely agree and I had a smartwatch, um and apart from the fact I, I didn't work out how to turn off the pingers like we were talking about before <laughs> yeah. the notifications was absolutely yeah. hated um I did notice how much um, not necessarily how much it drove me to change my behavior, but how it made me over-assess.
0: Mm.
1: And um, one thing that I learned with chronic pain um, was that part of the reason that um, I felt like it kept going was that I subconsciously and consciously regularly checked in on how my pain was. That moment, right. that time, that position, whatever. And actually, when I started to improve, it was because I managed to release myself from that checkup all the time. Um, And um, it's the same thing with one of these monitors where, as you say, you can become over obsessive about it. um, And it either drives you to make positive change or you use it as a something to beat yourself up with. Yeah, a stick to beat yourself with or it makes you really
0: anxious. Oh, my gosh, yeah. my heart rate's gone up. Oh, my gosh, what does that mean? Have I got a cardiovascular problem? And, oh, you know, what what, what why, why what do I need to be doing differently? And it can make you very, very, very anxious. So I think... I think and otherwise, be... you
1: wouldn't know necessarily about it's the heart, heart rate pain. unless you felt it going a little bit faster, as it may normally do, because exactly. you've got up very quickly and then gone straight up the stairs or whatever. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I think that's one, one caution
0: I would have. And then what was your other question? So I I was just
1: saying, what was, what's the thing that has kind of that's in the movement sphere that you recommend to people that you feel sort of moves that needle the most to help them improve their mental health? Yeah. I, I would say find the one thing that you can do
0: for just five minutes a day that brings you joy. So if you only find it very, very small, five minutes, everyone can find five minutes, I'm sure. And if it's going for a quick walk or, you know, dancing in the kitchen or doing some weight training, if that's what you enjoy, just five minutes a day. Because we can be quite all or nothing in our approach as human beings. Kind of like, well, I wanted to go for a run, but I don't have 45 minutes, so I won't bother. And I
1: couldn't change to get sweaty. Yeah. Exactly.
0: So we can be really all or nothing, but if you just aim for five minutes, it makes it so accessible that that you've got no excuse not to do it. So you just say, "Well, I haven't got I haven't got half an hour, but I'm just going to go for five minutes." Or I feel really low in energy today, and I don't feel like going for a run, but I'll just go for a walk for five minutes instead. But by the time you've done five minutes you're going to be feeling different. It's going. And you to... might
1: do another five. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Or you might just keep going and do a half hour or hour or whatever. Um, and even if you don't, even if you don't keep going and do more time, five minutes a day is better than zero minutes a day. Yeah. And five minutes every day adds up over the course of the week. And...
1: And with your curve, it's way better than not doing, than doing zero minutes.
0: Yes. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And if if it's something that brings you joy, makes you happy and is good for relieving stress or calming you down or just shifting your mood, all of those
1: things can be just so helpful. And applauding yourself for having done it. Absolutely. Because I think that for me, um, that sort of looping back in the cycle means you're far more likely to do it again because you have literally almost physically patted yourself on the back to say yeah I did that and I didn't want to I, but do you know what it made me feel better so I registered it made me feel better and I registered that I that you know it feels good to have done the thing that I set out to do definitely definitely and my other top tip in that
0: then would be don't let the weather hold you back <laughs> especially Brilliant. in the UK you know sometimes oh. it's pouring with rain you think oh my gosh there's no way but I have a dog so I have to walk my dog sometimes it's pouring with rain I don't feel like going out but I do and then I find like it, it's really just made me feel so happy the rain is coming I'm wet it doesn't matter it's just joyful
1: yeah and and if you just surrender I am going to get wet. What's the yeah. worst that's going to happen? I'm going to be wet. Well, I am going to get out of the shower. <laughs> At least I've got clothes to cover some of me. Yeah, I think once you decide to move that barrier aside, hmm. then it can, it's only good. And, and I always believe myself, and I rarely see it as um, different in others, you rarely regret moving. You rarely feel worse unless you're in a, a real pain cycle and so yeah. on. But for doing the movement that you can do at your level, um, and and as you say, the thing that brings you pleasure and joy, um, it's 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 really a, a, a bad or a wrong thing to do. You usually come out of it feeling both physically and mentally better
0: so yeah absolutely and it's an opportunity as well isn't it to meet new people learn new skills try something you've never tried before and really just challenge like there are so many different things you can get from it it's not just about your physical health or your mental health but your your social health and your general well-being and positivity and all of that so yeah I think there are no wrong reasons to move
1: exactly Exactly. Love that. We'll definitely end there. That's perfect. <laughs> the perfect positive. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really, really grateful for your time and your insight. Um, and I really enjoyed our discussion. Oh, thank you so much. I loved it. Thank you for having me. I always love hearing my guests' movement stories or learning from them about topics they're passionate about. I hope you've enjoyed listening. And if you have, you can help by doing three things. First, press the follow button to tell podcast platforms you want to listen again. Second, please give the show a five-star rating and leave a review about why you liked it. And third, I'd love you to share it with friends and family or on your socials, for which I am truly thankful. Finally, if this podcast is making you want to start reclaiming your own movement, join me in the Reclaim Movement membership for classes both live and by replay and countless videos of mini movement breaks to add into your daily life, covering practical and fun, important natural movements. Visit reclaimmovement.co.uk forward slash membership to get started with your seven-day free trial. See you for the next episode and thank you so much for listening.